In our text today, a rich man asks Jesus to solve his financial dispute with his brother. And Jesus declines to solve his familial woes in any way the man had hoped. Instead, Jesus warns this rich man against greed and advises him to generosity and to remember his own mortality. Over the last three weeks, our youth interns have been working on the 12th chapter of Luke. They've been studying it and praying about it and reading it again and again. And today you will hear two sermons on this one reading, one from Madeline and one from Eden. In prayer and study, they have both come to a message for this church on this day. And that is that greed runs our lives in matters other than money too. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 31. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus told them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. There is more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. Who among you, by worrying, can add one single moment to your life? If you can't do such a small thing, why worry about the rest? Notice how the lilies grow. They don't wear themselves out with work. They don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses the grass of the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, how much more will God do for you, you people of weak faith? Don't chase after what you will eat or what you will drink. Stop worrying. All nations of the world long for these things. Your father knows what you, that you need them. Instead, desire his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. O oh, gracious God, allow your words to rest in our hearts 
And may the words from my mouth celebrate you, and let our meditations be lifted up to you in thanks. Amen. Just last week, I found myself back at my high school auditorium for a theater camp. And one of the days, we were learning the basics of improvisational theater, specifically partner improv scenes. We would be partnered up, given a location, and just sent off to perform for three minutes. Now, if you know anything about improv, you know the phrase, yes, and. The purpose of the phrase is to not shut down what anyone suggests, but rather having you add to their idea instead. For example, if my partner mimes pulling out a sword and saying, on guard, I can't say, no, that's a baguette. Rather, I have to say, yes, and I have a sword too. It seems pretty straightforward, but in all things theater, that one rule is what challenges me the most. In fact, I would say the reason I'm so yes and challenged is because I struggle to apply it to real life. One of my character flaws is planning out what I want to say before I say it. This doesn't seem like a fault at first, as we are told to think before we speak in school all the time, but this causes me to stop listening to whoever is speaking. Countless times I have been planning what to say next to a friend when I realize they are looking at me expectantly for a reply and I have no clue what they just said. So this concept of yes and in an improv scene causes my plan of where I think this scene should go to go just out of the window. And I normally grow pretty attached to this wacky idea in my head, only to find my improv partner staring at me with wide eyes after they decide to throw a T-Rex on a cruise ship, and I haven't responded yet. And then when we sit down after the scene is done, I always think, man, an alien invasion would have been so much funnier. And I will be the first to admit this is selfish of me. Always wanting to control which direction the scene goes in or what topic I want to discuss next in a conversation, completely ignoring what the other person is saying. And I like to think this is the case for the wealthy man in the scripture. Before he asks his question, Jesus is telling the crowd that God values all life, but values human lives the most. So in the middle of this crescendoing lesson, a man asks Jesus to convince his brother to give him money. Now again, Jesus had just finished explaining our lives have the most value over everything, and yes, this means even money. This man seems out of place and misguided. And Jesus then goes on to let him know how foolish he is for stressing over material possessions. We all lack complete social awareness, as much as we'd like to think otherwise. And for all we know, this man might have been stressing over the money for days and just wanted a little guidance. But this lack of awareness causes others pain as who can know what the other people in the crowd needed to hear at that moment. We are warned to be on your guard against all kinds of greed.
My theater community is often where I find God working through. There's something about forging a deep fake connection on stage that makes a real one happen off stage. And when I remind people of their cue or they hand me a prop, I never feel closer to God than in that moment. And working with others to achieve the same goal as a cohesive unit causes my personal selfishness to be just thrown out the window. But I digress. In improv scenes, I'm still pro-greedy. Or in conversations, I greedily ignore the person talking as if my thoughts are more important. Like the man in the story, greed for time affects us all. Greed is everywhere. Yet, in forgiving our shortcomings, God says we are priceless. Both the rich man and I included, no matter how greedy we get. And if humans are the most valuable thing on earth, let us become rich in community. When life throws us a T-Rex, let us say yes and, and work through our greed to grow closer with each other. Amen. Let's try this again. <laughs> okay. To begin, this man in the scripture talking to Jesus brings up his feud with his brother who won't split up the inheritance with him. He also addresses the large amount of crops and inheritance he has. He has so much he has to build a larger barn to fit them all in. This man sees himself as a follower of Jesus and God as he expresses his problems to Jesus. Yet, he got all this stuff, which is odd because Jesus preaches against greed and promotes giving to the less fortunate. Well, I have a lot of stuff too. For example, two overflowing shelves of vinyls and an unnecessary amount of books. However, this stuff has meaning to me for example, my records of collections of art and emotions. Simon and Garfunkel, as well as the Beatles, aren't singing about pop culture. They provide me with a feeling of peace and reassurance. My books have shown me that art can not only be seen, but read. Catcher in the Rye and Charles Bukowski offer a raw look into society that my Instagram and Snapchat just can't provide. Not only are these things beautiful, but they are meaningful, and I stand by my belief that this is not greed. Let's get this straight. Jesus does not want everyone to give away all their stuff and live in a van down by the river. His point is that these meaningless temptations and indulgences cause stress and distraction from God and other important things in our lives. Ideally, 
I would love to purge myself of all unholy distractions by just throwing away old clothes and knickknacks into a trash bag. But this is not that simple. My greed is not fueled by things or money, not inheritance or crops. My greed thrives on my own fears. My need for emotional protection never ends. And believe it or not, there are nine different ways your brain prevents this distress. One of them being projection, which occurs when a person has unwanted emotions or experiences. This then causes the person to reject certain people, things, or thoughts, labeling them as bad. And my favorite defense is displacement. This is when a person has emotional distress, which causes them to hate or dislike people that they should love, such as family or friends. All in all, these mechanisms basically mean that when something goes wrong in our lives, we change our way of thinking, feeling, and behaving. In many cases, this can be a good thing. It teaches us to process and prevent these bad events that have happened to us. But unfortunately, my brain consumes itself when the, with intense fears and feelings and guardedness. This year, I really hit an all-time low regarding my relationships with people. I subconsciously convinced myself that I didn't need anyone, not even family or friends. People will let you down. They lie and cheat. People are really annoying sometimes, too. And because of this, they are bad, and therefore I don't need them. I can't have them because the more people I have, the more bad things will happen to me. So I shut myself out from everybody. I was in fear of being vulnerable to even the closest people in my life. I believe that opening up to people gives them power over me. They can now hold my personal information against me. And these trust issues, delusions, and false beliefs are my crops and inheritance. I was running out of room in my head, so I tore down my relationships with friends and family. I got rid of my trust and joy. I also had to kick out God. I needed room for my big, fat mansion full of emotional instability. And recently, I let myself slip. I trusted someone who I have been friends with since I can remember. And despite the excessive amount of locks I put on my emotional self, I let them in. I opened up to them about a very serious problem in my life. And they betrayed me by telling someone I didn't even know. I spent all this time protecting myself, and I finally felt safe enough to open up. My biggest fear then became a reality. What little amount of trust I had left was shattered. The locks went back on, and my house continued to pile up with these lies. And to be honest, right now, I'm still not over it, but this is where God comes in. Later that week, I told my doctor about this, her being one of the only people I can trust because she was legally obligated not to tell anybody else. <laughs> I had explained the situation, and she told me everything was going to be okay, and my life wasn't over. And even though these words may seem pretty basic, and this is something your mom tells you all the time, the power behind them was I was unable to say this to myself. The comfort and support I received from her allowed me to realize God had been right next to me the entire time. I just couldn't see him because of my obsession over protecting myself. 
This let in just enough of God's light through my window in my dark, lonely house for me to feel his unconditional love and salvation. I could finally see why Jesus had died on the cross for us. I understood what it meant to have hope that God bring me back to him when I had strayed. However, most of my problems still resided in my mind, and I by no means was miraculously saved by God himself. I still had work to do. This passage is one of the few instances in the Bible where Jesus slaps the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit out of someone. And I can't blame him. The guy really walked into it asking Jesus for financial advice. Although I never really expected God to just pluck me out of my dark, depressing house and plant me in a field of butterflies and rainbows, I did hope he would kind of just start getting rid of all my problems for me, and one day they would just poof, be gone. But no, my junk, my responsibility. I was going to clean this house out myself. It took me a long time to realize my fears had no positive impact on me. They keep friends, family, and God out. I almost wish I had been ridiculed by Jesus along with the man in the scripture. It would have saved myself a lot of stress. But it's really not God's style to just take away the temptations in the world and make it perfect. Temptation will always be here, but God is eternal and here to show us salvation to teach us to free ourselves from our own chains. Mm -hmm.